Hey friends, it's Mike from Theology on Mission podcast. I hope that you had a good Christmas. This is our first of two episodes with Northern's very own Dr. Ingrid Farrow. We were excited to finally get Ingrid onto the show. I want to make an announcement that we have our lecturer for the Theology and Mission lectures coming up in June of 2024. We're excited to announce that Dr. Jonathan Tran, who's been on this podcast, who teaches at Baylor University, who will be giving the lectures coming up in June, June 13th and June 14th. I'll drop the link in the show notes. There's always the option to watch online, but we would love to have you in person. As always, we have a breakfast with Dr. Tran, which is limited to the first 50 people at sign up. So get in there, get your spot, and we look forward to seeing you soon later on in 2024. Thanks, friends. Enjoy the show. All right, everybody, we're back at Theology on Mission podcast. That music really does a number on me, Mike Moore. What about you? You love that music, don't you, Mike Moore? I I think one time in the podcast I said, this music is going to be played at Dave's funeral. (laughs) Ouch. Ouch. You know, you know, Mike Moore, it's Holesclaw that came up with that music. Uh, We don't give him credit for that enough. No, we do not. And this is in memory of Jeff Holesclaw. All right. I guess your, I guess your funeral's coming up too, Jeff, if you're listening, because he just said in memory of Jeff Holesclaw. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Theology on Mission podcast where we engage culture with theology for Christ's kingdom. And today we have a special guest. Yes. Mike Moore, do you want the privilege of introducing our special guest, or do you want me to do it? Maybe we could do it together. Maybe we could do it together. Huh. Like okay, you go first. Well, what, what's interesting is that we haven't had her on our podcast yet, considering the three of us have had many conversations in hallways. We're all colleagues, friends. That's good build up, right? I don't know. I'm kind of going to sleep on that one. <laughs> but what's yes, uh, we have uh, Dr. Ingrid Farrow with us today. Uh, she is an esteemed colleague at uh, Northern Seminary. Uh, she has been our dean at times. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we loved working with her. Then she now is coordinator of the MA in Old Testament program at Northern Seminary. She is also a professor of Old Testament at Northern Seminary. She's a pastor. She she's my personal therapist, by the way. <laughs> my 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 our two offices uh, are next to each other, and uh, I apologize for all the times I've come into your office and said, "Can we just talk?" <laughs> it's been mutual. <laughs> ten ten to fifteen minutes, all I need. Just let me talk. Yeah. One time, oh, we're getting way too personal. Never mind. Well, let's let's move on <laughs> to the anything else you'd like to say in terms of introduction. No, it just Ingrid is is beloved here at Northern, and we're really happy to have you on the podcast. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. I love you guys and love working with you. So thanks. Fun to be here. That's great. Okay, so now the occasion for this visit is uh, your book. It's entitled "Demystifying Evil." A Biblical and Personal Exploration. Folks, I also endorse this book saying, listen to this now, this kind of describes it, probing the depths of human experience. Ingrid Farrow addresses evil, what it is, how it works, 
and how God in his goodness overcomes it. By the way, then I go on and I, I, I am a, I am appreciative of this book, not just as its scholarly treatment of the issue, but your very personal yes. engagement with the issue. I think, you know, I understand why you published it with IVP Academic, but this book is appeal, even though it is very good scholarship, appeals beyond that to all the ways we as Christians have to, and, and by the way, non-Christians have to engage mm-hmm. with the world of evil and God. So why don't you give us a little brief like statement about what you're actually trying to accomplish in this book? Yeah, this book is the culmination of about 15 years of research, but also an exploration of my life and the process that I went through, through the traumas and abuses and losses that I experienced and how I went through that because I was deconstructing my faith before it became a term. I wasn't sure if I wanted to believe in God anymore. If I did, I remember one particular time where Driving in my car and saying, God, I don't even know why I believe in you anymore. I haven't seen your goodness. I haven't seen your love. And the only reason, the only reason I continued to believe in God was I knew I had personally encountered God as a young Christian, and I couldn't deny that. That was the only thing that kept me going. So I quit going to church because after my first husband, who was studying to be a pastor, had third of the New Testament memorized, all goes to show how just head stuff, intellectual faith is never going to cut it. But we got married because I was told women can't be in ministry unless they're married to somebody in ministry, and then that's your ministry. So wonderful teaching. That was so healthy for me. <laughs> and so here was this guy in ministry and leading Bible studies. And, and yeah, but after he broke my nose, I went to my pastor who told me to go home and love my husband. And that was it. No more done. So I didn't get out of that marriage till after he tried to kill me. And the Lord said, if you stay, you will die. So... I took me six months to plan my escape because he was following me everywhere I went. Mm. So once I escaped, I got a faster car <laughs> and <laughs> hid out for a while. Yeah, and that that's like a three-minute version of a very long and very deep story. And I'm I'm so glad you gave us that that introduction to your story because I, I just cannot tell you how many people I've met who are in the same place, uh, who are, are searching diligently to find God in, in suffering and evil and abuse. And so this book is, is huge. It's just so important. It's, it's, it's a scholarly achievement, ladies and gentlemen, but it is also for all those who don't feel up to scholarship, this, will, this book will not overwhelm you, and you will get deeply into the experience of God's goodness and how God works in and through and over evil. And I just think it maybe is the preeminent subject for our time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can we get into the content? Sure. Of the book uh, title "Demystifying." Oh, evil. isn't he kind of moving very fast and furious? <laughs> we can well, go a little long today. You know, yeah. we don't have to be always on time. Hey, I, 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 I'm enjoying this. I just want to actually get into the substance. Of okay. Yeah. What you? Okay. Uh, n- not that your personal story isn't part of the substance. I'm, I'm thinking more about the, the theology behind it. My, my first question is, wh- where do you start demystifying evil? Are we going straight to Genesis one? Where, where do we uh, begin? Yeah, I, I began my journey in Genesis one. 
And because in my questioning, I felt I needed to go back to the Hebrew and the Greek. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to know, is God good? Is he just? You know, what is evil? I had these questions. I did not go into this with any answers. I had, they were all questions mm -hmm. that I was testing because I did not know. And so, but it was in my study, especially in this, for me, it was in the Hebrew. So it's just really detailed work going through word for word through the book of Genesis yeah. that, that I began to put the pieces, puzzle pieces of my life together. Hmm. And, and I also found as I was going on this journey that before I could define evil, because there's not, there's really not a definition of evil. I see that everywhere. Like, for example, I'll just throw in a, and then I'll get back to your question. Mm -hmm. The, uh, when Google started, their code of conduct was simply, don't be evil. And I oh. heard an NPR interview with the former CEO. They were asking him about that. He said, well, you know, there's no real definition of evil, except maybe in the Bible or something. <laughs> so I thought, oh, well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> but generally, evil is culturally defined. It ships yeah. as quickly as the culture changes. You know, we see evil bantered around everybody calling everybody else evil mm -hmm. and having no way of identifying what that is. So as I started and as I looked at Genesis, I realized, oh, the Bible actually starts with good. And so that also became part of my quest. So my, my dissertation was on evil in Genesis from the Hebrew text, but I realized it starts with good. So I had to look at what is goodness biblically and how does that, and, and does that sync with my soul? And, yeah. and so as I was doing, so I ended up doing semantic studies, word studies on goodness as well as evil. And so goodness is associated with things like blessing, flourishing, abundance, lack of conflict. So peace, shalom. Yeah. And and those are all things, you know, when you hear those words, you know, peace, harmony, beauty, abundance, flourishing, life, blessing, you kind of, you know, if you soak in those words, you, you do take a deep breath. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, that is what I'd like life to be. And so when you start there and even recognizing that Genesis 1, where God is the one who's making things, there's no conflict, there's nobody giving him grief about it, there's, he is just at work, and he looks at what he makes and says, that is good. And the fact that it's sevenfold, seven times he says that, mm -hmm. that in the Hebrew, it's indicating also a kind of fullness. And so it's also a reflection of who God is. So, because God, unlike us, is completely consistent. What God yeah. thinks matches with what he says, matches with what he does. So if all that he does is good, it means that all that he is is good. Now, I didn't know if I believed that when I started in this mm -hmm. project, so I had a lot of work to do. But in looking at the text, theologically, that is the place to start. And so I had mm -hmm. to start wrestling with the fact of giving the possibility that even all the evils that happened in my life, I would never call them good because nowhere in the Bible does it call good evil and evil good. It right. says, woe to the one who does that. Right. And But it meant that I had to start giving God maybe, just beginning with a little bit of chance, maybe God was good instead of what I had come to believe, which was I'd come to believe a whack-a-mole theology, <laughs> that carnival game you yeah, know, where yeah. I was the mole and God was holding the hammer and every time I poked my head up, bam! So that was my theology when I started this process. Mm -hmm. wow. And so I had to begin thinking, maybe I'm not seeing God for who he really is. And if that's true, then what the heck is going on in my life and in the world around me? Yeah. And yeah. who is God? Where is he in the midst? So that's where I started. But I had to start with goodness. 
and then see evil, how it comes off of that. And I can give a def the definition sort of that I've come oh, to later. I got so many follow-ups. Yes. You, 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 um, you always have good follow-ups. You, well, but I got, I got one, I got one follow-up. Okay. Okay. Um, I submit to you. Milbank, John <laughs> Milbank used to, this is like back in the late nineties, uh, before you were born. Wait. <laughs> Come uh, on, I'm not that young. <laughs> he talked about the ontology of violence and the ontology of peace. I can't remember the exact words, but for him, the ontology, the way things are is good, yet some people see the way things are as conflict. Conflict is just the way the world was created. You talk about this in, in some of your chapters. How does seeing that the world is good that it's created good. It's the way things are is good. Evil is an aberration or an undercutting mm -hmm. of of what is good, and it's not the way things are. You know what I'm trying to say? Absolutely. I mean, it's a way of seeing the world that changes things. Yeah. How we engage evil. Yeah. Yeah. So can I follow up on yes, that? Yes, please. All right. So that is obviously a huge conflict. Could you say, oh, the world is good, but no, it's really evil. So that is the way things are right now. So it was created good. The intention was good. So how did it get evil? And of course, that's where we come from. And you know, I, I state in my book, one of my goals is to avoid simplistic answers. Yeah. So even as I'm saying, giving a response to this, we also have to avoid simplistic answers because those are the kind of things that people give in church all the time. You know, like God needed another little angel in heaven and all kinds of other horrific things that just cause more pain. <laughs> but... What we have to look at is back to Genesis 1. So for me, everything goes back to Genesis. Mm -hmm. Back to Genesis 1. Let us make humanity in our image according to our likeness so that they may rule. And that would be the proper syntax. So the purpose, God created humanity. And the word there is humanity, not mm -hmm. man, because male and female, he created them in the next verse. And so as humanity, we were created for the purpose of running things down on this earth. So the last act of creation, humanity, God has set everything up. And in some of the recognition is looking at Genesis 1 as, you know, basically the earth is God's cosmic sanctuary. You know, the universe, God's cosmic sanctuary. And we are set up as his priests. We are there to serve and protect how things go down here. Right. So God gave humanity, he gave us the responsibility and the authority, both, to run the way things go here. Mm -hmm. And he also gave us the choice, which is what we see in Genesis chapter two. The two trees represent the choice. We can either choose to follow God in his ways, or we can choose our own way, where we become the ones who decide what's right and wrong, where it's like, I wanna be in control, which every human being I know, whether they know it or not, to some degree is a control freak. <laughs> we yeah. want to be in charge. Yes. Even if we want somebody else to be in charge of our life, other than God. Mm -hmm. So we always want to put, we will always put our trust in somebody, ourselves or somebody else. So the big choice then, since God gave humanity the responsibility and the authority, he never took it back. He never withdrew that image of God reality in our lives. And there's a lot that I go into in the book of what does it mean to be created the image of God? And there's a lot of great resources. Carmen Imes has her book, mm -hmm. Being God's Image, Catherine McDowell. The image of God in the garden, even tons of stuff is now going out there. So we're gaining better understanding of what does it mean to be God's image bearer? It is to be his representative, to have reigning and ruling authority here in this earth. So 
to give a simplistic, which again, I don't want to do, but sort of a high view, big picture. One of the main reasons there's evil in this world is because we have chosen to not follow the instructions for how this universe is supposed to go. We want to do things our way. So we've got billions of little popes, little gods going about mm -hmm. saying, but I think it should be this way. No, I, I want that. So it's taking what is good and corrupting it, taking the intention for what is good. And start of, instead of looking at how can I make goodness for all of creation and all every relationship, it becomes what can I take for myself? Hmm. What makes sense to me? Yeah. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Yeah. Okay. So you, you and I have a lot of theological uh, trajectories here. Okay. Okay. Through this. Let's go. I'll, I'll set up yours. I think with, with mine. Because uh, you think you already know what I'm thinking, don't yes, you? Yes, <laughs> I do. The first theological definition of evil I ever learned was from Augustine that... Oh, way to pull the Augustine card. <laughs> that evil is the absence, the privation of good. I hear you saying something very different. I do not agree with Augustine on this. All right, good. Let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I don't see evil as the absence of good. I see evil as the corruption Mm -hmm. The as you, you use the word aberration, the defilement of what is good. Mm -hmm. Evil is taking what is good and saying, I don't want to use it that way. I don't want to use this good thing for goodness. I want to use it for what I want to use it for. So it becomes a corruption, which is also where evil gets its power. It gets its power from the power of the good. Mm -hmm. Because the only real power is in God, and the only real power that God gives has to do with his goodness. So if you take, we'll take a, you know, a simple, you know, they're, well, like the, the biological example, you know, there's a couple of cancer, for example, is basically it's a healthy cell mm -hmm. where something in the cell has mutated, something yeah. has gone wrong, whether something got in there to mess with it. And so it uses the power of the cell itself to replicate then this aberration, this thing that then starts killing, trying to kill the other cells and spread and so forth. But it comes from a healthy cell where something went wrong. Mm. So we see that in relationships. I love you. I think you're wonderful. And it can start great like that. And it's like, I must have you. Yeah. I will do whatever I need to get you. Yeah. And all yeah, of a yeah. sudden, that power, that strength of love uh -huh. becomes twisted and distorted yeah. and, can, and can create more harm and damage than anything else. Because love is the most powerful thing in the world. But we see everywhere around us in each of our lives how that power of that love becomes distorted and twisted mm -hmm. in the hands of the one who wants to use it for their own benefit yes, yes. and destroys and creates death and damage and trauma. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, those are, you know, a couple of the big examples that, yeah. that we're familiar with. But I also like to use the example of just, you know, a, a river. It's bringing clean water to people. You know, originally mm -hmm. it's great. It's, you know, this water's running, but, you know, someone comes in and, and says, yeah, I want to divert it, you know, starts throwing rocks in it or throwing dirt in it or, you know, they corrupt what was good, and now it's no longer a life force. Now it's either bringing toxins or it's being rerouted because they threw rocks in it, and now it's flooding the town. And, mm -hmm. But it uses the power of what was in that originally created good thing. Now that power is bringing death and destruction. It's awful. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you get into the weeds here. You, you, you take a deep dive into uh, a lot of important topics. I wish... By the way, I wish I could go into this privation of the good concept because I think I differ with both of you on this, but it's okay, folks. This is Northern Seminary. 